Welcome to the Common Round. Medical education for medical students by medical students. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And joining us today is our executive producer, Gautam. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our next episode. Um, so we, in our last episode, we talked about sort of the genetics of colorectal cancer. Yep. Now we're going to actually talk about colorectal cancer as a whole. Cool. Not only are we going to talk about some of the genetics or maybe um, refresh your memory about genetics, but we'll talk about, you know, polyps, what polyps are, some of the epidemi- epidemiology, and much more. Um, uh, hopefully, you'll enjoy it. And we'll try to keep it as simple as we can yes. and to the point as possible. I like and, simple. Yeah, ex- me too. Do you want to uh, maybe explain what a polyp is? Because we always talk about polyps in colorectal cancer. So, a polyps, uh, the textbook definition is it's a protuberance into the lumen. The lumen is the inner part of yep. the tube of the, um, the gastrointestinal tract. From uh, so so it's a protuberance into the lumen of normal flat colonic mucosa. So of the normal colonic mucosa, you've got this little stem or a stalk of like a um, something that grows up. Yeah, that protrudes into the lumen. Now you can have two types. You can have sessile, which are a little bit more flat, mm-hmm. or you can have the pedunculate, and that's like the classic sort of um, polyp. polyp that you, you imagine in a sort of in a colonoscopy situation. Mm-hmm. So when we mean pedunculate, it means that it's got a bit of a stalk. So imagine like an apple hanging from a tree, right? Yeah. And the air is kind of the lumen mm-hmm. and that apple is the polyp. Yeah. So you've got the round part, which mm-hmm. is the apple itself and you mm-hmm. have the stalk. So that's what pedunculated means okay. is that it's got the sort of the tissue and it's got a bit of a stalk attaching it to the branch. Yes. In this case, the branch is the colon, obviously. Yes. Let's talk about some of the epidemiology for a moment when it comes to polyps. Um, mm. Should I be expecting mm. to have polyps? So the chance of having polyps increases by age. And so yeah. the yeah. about 30% of the population have polyps by the age of 50, mm. 40% by the age of 60, and 50% by the age of 70. Yeah. So it increases as you go. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I'm not sure what happens at the age of 20 or so. But yeah. maybe I would, I would suggest extrapolating this data. It should be a lesser percentage. It should be much, much less, hopefully. Unless you've got, obviously, FAP, which we've mentioned before. Yes. Um, so in terms of some of the clinical features, you can have about 50% of these polyps in the rectosigmoid region. Okay. And there can be 50% of cases in multiple areas in the, in the colon. Interesting. The interesting thing is most of them are asymptomatic. Um, and also, they don't typically bleed. Mm-hmm. But you might encounter a word in your reading called tenismus. Do you want to maybe explain what that means? I think it's the feeling you get when you go to the bathroom and then after you've done number two, you realize that, oh. <laughs> number two, how yeah. medical? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Write this on the exam. Word for word. <laughs> so after number two, you still feel like, oh, I still haven't completely finished. But then, yeah. in, in fact, you might have already. Yeah. So that's that that feeling, and that's they've got a word for it. It's called tenesmus. Yeah, so it's that sort of urge that you haven't completely emptied your bowels, I guess. Um, yeah. And obviously, if these things are protruding into the lumen, mm-hmm. another name for that is called exophytic, then they can sometimes be associated with intestinal obstruction as well. Okay. Um, are there any other sort of symptoms that you might expect in these patients? Um, this is, we're talking about a polyp, by the way, not talking yeah. about colorectal cancer. That's, sure. Um, I think they can also produce... Uh, in- Result in increased mucus production. Right? Yeah, in right. some cases, especially if they're um, adenomas of, of some sort, but then now we're sort of going to the territory of something else. Um, okay. So you said that most people can have polyps, right? If, if you, yes. 50% of people by the age of 70 can have polyps, surely some of them are not cancerous then. Definitely. And so we've got, with polyps, you can break them down to neoplastic and non-neoplastic. Yeah. So with non-neoplastic polyps, they can occur from, they can be classified as a type of like hyperplastic mm-hmm. polyps. 
I guess it's just hyperplasia, increased cell growth. So yep. that means so you've got increased number of cells, and this increase of cells causes a raise or a bump, or mm -hmm. like the, these little apples, quotation mark, yeah. um, that, that develop in the, the colon. That's right. It's, it's nowhere near the size of an apple. It's, no, it's really not small. at all. It's, it's tiny. Yeah. Um, What's another type of non-neoplastic? So you can also have mucosal polyps, which are you know, less than 5 millimeter, which obviously demonstrates how small these polyps are. Mm -hmm. They're of no clinical significance. Yeah. You can have inflammatory pseudopolyps. And we mentioned this in our, um, if, if you guys are not sure, we mentioned it in our inflammatory bowel disease when it came to, Cro um, not Crohn's, uh, ulcerative colitis. Yes. That's why the, the, a small percentage of inflammatory pseudopolyps can have a very tiny potential to become malignant over a prolonged time. Okay. By itself, it, it's not necessarily possible. Okay. But in the context of Crohn's, then you can start, sorry, ulcerative colitis, then okay. there's a very small percentage, about 1% to 2% can transform sure. over, over a 10-year um um, 10 years of suffering from ulcerative colitis. Mm -hmm. Is there another one as well? There's another one. It's called um, submucosal polyps. And so this would occur from lymphoid aggregates or could occur because of lipomas, mm -hmm. lyomyomas, or carcinoids. So these are different types of um, uh, causes that lead to a submucosal polyp. Yeah, exactly. So submucosa means obviously it's below the mucosa. And in our submucosa, we have quite a lot of connective tissue and things like that and fat. So mm. it's no surprise that you might expect to see some lipo lipomas as well. That's true. What about the neoplastic ones, Andy? Okay, so with neoplastic polyps, then we go into... Uh, there's one type, it's called a hamartoma. Mm. So a hamartoma, it's, it's different to hematoma, where, you know, it's it's not nothing to do with the blood, but hamartoma, H-A-M-A-R-T-O-M-A. And what that is, is a, um, a abnormal arrangement of the normal tissue. Mm. So the tissue isn't wrong, but it's just an abnormal arrangement of it, and that leads to a neoplastic growth. Or a possible risk of neopla uh, neoplastic gro uh, growth. Mm. What are some examples of syndromes? So they could be juvenile polyps that ha happen in the large bowel, or you mm. could get this thing called a Putz-Jäger syndrome mm -hmm. that happens in the small bowel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, they have a low malignant potential, but... They're more spontaneous, uh, and they can more spontaneously regress, or uh, yeah, or just fall. So uh, I think you can. Uh, the term for it is called autoamputate, which really? is pretty crazy. So it just falls off, ah. um, which is really unusual. But now we're sort of getting into the really important major types. So okay. the the other type that is has neoplastic potential is called Cecile serrated adenomas. Yeah, and this can commonly occur in the right colon. Okay, um, there is a bit of overlap with um, hyperplastic polyps. So I know we mentioned that if you have hyperplastic polyps, there is a very minimal risk of um, neoplastic transformation. Mm -hmm. But be mindful that there is a bit of overlap between hyperplastic mm -hmm. polyps and sessile serrated um, adenomas, mm -hmm. and these guys have malignant potential. The What's one. Yeah. yeah, the sessile serrated ones, yeah. and there's another one, the adenomas. Do you want to maybe talk about that? Yeah. So the adenomas are essentially pre-malignant um, polyps that are often are um, carcinomas in situ. What they mean by an in situ when you see it in, in the cancer context usually is cancerous cells that have not yet gone past the basement membrane. Yeah, they're sort of within the basement membrane, which yeah. is, you know, I guess that it's sort of basement membrane protecting the other tissues. Once they invade, they're invasive. Yes. Aren't they? they get access to the blood vessels yeah. and can start spreading. And so they invade into the muscularis layer, which is the almost part of the outer layer of the, um, the bowel. If you're not sure what we're talking about, maybe have a listen to our... Yeah. GI physiology talks earlier in our mm. uh, in in an earlier episode, yeah. but uh, there's different types of adenomas. Aren't Three there? main ones. Um, you've got villus, 
you've got tubovillus and you've got tubular. They're, I guess they refer to the the, the formation and the, mm. um, the appearance of it. And we can yeah. go into a bit of the differences between the characteristics of the two. Yeah, sure. Um, so with tubular ones, they they are smaller in size and their attachments usually, they, they usually are pedunculated. So yeah. the ones that have stalks, they have a lower malignant potential and they've got an even distribution. Mm. What happens with the villus ones? So the way I remember villus is villus is the villain. Right, okay. Villas is the bad guy. Yeah. So they're obviously less common, you know, which is really fortunate. Yes. Um, they can be very large. They can be sessile in appearance. They can be more flat as opposed yes. to pedunculated. Okay. But they have a much higher risk of malignant potential oh. or malignant transformation. Interesting. And they tend to occur on the left side of the colon more than the right side. Whereas with, as you mentioned, in the tubular, they can occur evenly in both sides. Got it. So remember, villas is the villain. Villain. Yeah. And you can also have this um, sort of cell type that is in between. So you can have a tubular villus. So that's sort of in between a villus and a tubular okay. um, uh, manifestation. And they have mid-range okay. potential okay. Uh, potential for um, neoplastic transformation. Oh, cool. Um, so in terms of talking more broadly about colorectal cancers, now that we've mentioned polyps, um, yes. when would you expect to see it? So this is a disease I would expect in the elderly. So let's say if you're starting from the age 50 or above, mm. and um, you would start, that's the, when the cases start to occur. And the mean age on, of onset is actually 70 years yeah. old when you, when you start picking it up. Before the age of 40, the incidence rate is about 1 in 1,000. It's not very common. No. no. And unfortunately, it affects males more than females yeah, as well. That's right. Yeah. Mm. And so what are some of the risk factors now we're talking about? So obviously, gender is one risk factor if you're a male. But yep. what about other things? Age... Um, genetics are a huge component to it. So we talked about, like, we've talked about it in the previous talk with the FAPs, HNPCCs, the essentially region uh, genetic yeah. uh, mutations that occur that could that could lead to a higher instance of these these diseases. That's right. Yeah. Um, I think other colonic conditions can further increase the risk of, of yeah, these cancers. Absolutely. So in terms of colonic conditions, we mentioned that if you start developing adenomatous polyps, that okay. has potential. So if you, you yeah. know, have a villus subtype then obviously at an increased risk of developing carcinomas yes. we mentioned that inflammatory bowel disease more specifically Crohn's is really important ulcerative colitis sorry uh, I keep mentioning Crohn's um, <laughs> ulcerative colitis is really important yeah. and the risk of transformation is 1-2% to 2 yes. per year if you've had this condition for greater than 10 years mm. um, we also should mention diet is really important as well True. do you want to mention that a little bit more yeah so increased fat red meat mm. decreased fiber i hear some one pointed like charred grilled things as well yeah which also yeah be quite bad that's well. what i've heard as well mm. i don't know whether it's due to the nitrosamide mm. um toxins or, or that's in the food Sorry. i'm 100 percent sure um are there uh, does is smoking smoking important? definitely so yeah. i think if you're never sure smoking causes everything yeah I think it was like ulcerative colitis where that's the only exception where it's slightly preventative, <laughs> yeah. but otherwise, yeah, everything else smoking. It's caused by smoking. Yes. What other conditions? <clears throat> Type 2 diabetes, um, acromegaly. I think that's due to like either the insulin and the growth factors that that, that could play a role in causing the um, yeah. cancers. Because with acromegaly, you have an uh, increased amount of um, growth factors in the body and the sure. mucosa of the colon respond to these increased growth factors and then... Uh, undergo hyperplasia and, and so forth. Um, I that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Mm. Mm. yeah. Does um like does the gut bacteria have any role? I think um this was a potential area, this is a hotspot of area of research mm. where they they're looking at this relationship between the gut bacteria and the 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 presence of um 
of these colon cancers. Yeah. I think probably from from our point of view at the moment is that we don't quite know too much about the the microbiota, mm. but there is certainly a possible link between the two. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, providing antibody therapy in animal models has shown to decrease the formation of cystic serrated polyps. Oh, that's um, really cool. And so. Obviously, you know, there's, this is in animal models, and whether it translates into um, humans is is uncertain. But it's definitely, like you mentioned, a hot hot spot for research. Mm. So if you guys are budding researchers, by all means, um, look into this um, for us. Yes. Um, so we kind of let's go back to the genetic causes, and we mentioned that around one to five percent are well, we haven't, but one to five percent of colorectal cancers are associated with germline mutations. Yes. Uh, and a lot of that comes from FAP or hereditary non-polyphosis. Yes. colorectal cancers mm-hmm. but a bigger number is familial but it's not necessarily germline or it's as yet unidentified so about 20 percent of these cancers are familial so there's a family history of colorectal cancer but we don't actually know what the cause is um, but mm-hmm. is it true that majority are sporadic so about 70 percent just occur without Definitely. any family and, history and so that that could be a problem when when you look at it so there's no family history mm-hmm. present in it and and so the ma- most majority of colorectal cancers is just pop out of the blue. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we kind of mentioned about some of the clinical features of polyps. Well, what are some of the clinical features now of colorectal cancer once it's actually become mm-hmm. cancerous? Uh, so often they are asymptomatic for reasons which we will explain later on. But um, when you do develop symptoms, they could be um, a, a fresh passage of blood through the anus, or, which could be called melina or... This other term, hematochesia. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So that's fresh blood as opposed to melina, which is um, bleeding in the upper GI, which can be much oh, darker. That's yeah. yeah, that's the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. What else can you have, Andy? Um, so you can have abdominal pain, changes in bowel habits are mm. quite common as well, um, which secondarily, I guess, if you're bleeding through through the colon, you can mm. lead on to secondary uh, problems such as weakness, yeah. anemias. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned already the... GI obstructions, mm. palpable masses, lower back pain. Yep, mm. especially if it's a rectal mass that can then um, invade into the sacrum. And so those rectal masses can impinge on the nerves oh. and so cause significant lower back pain. Cool. Let's talk about the concept of reps left-sided versus right-sided because this is yes. really important. And yep. it took me a little while to appreciate the significance of this. This is really important. Mm. So depending on the side of the um, where the, the colorectal cancer is occurring, you can have a different spectrum of uh, presenting symptoms. So, for example, uh, so what they mean by right-sided is where the uh, the cancer presents on predominantly the right side of yeah. the, the so on the ascending the colon. colon. Yeah. yeah. So pretty much, if you think about it, if it's on the right side, that's that means it's further upstream of the actual uh, GI tract, well, in the colon at least. And so the stools there they aren't usually formed by then. So you, if if the cancer's there, it let's say if it's like a polyp or if it's something that's uh, narrows down the lumen since the stool isn't as, as the stool is quite liquid at that point in time it's not going to actually block up anything yeah absolutely so right-sided uh, on a general rule of thumb is the right-sided presentations of the cancers are more asymptomatic 
Yeah, exactly, which is concerning, isn't it? Because if you're asymptomatic, you're less likely to seek help. Mm -hmm. And so possibly the prognosis could be bad mm. if you're on right side because you're detected later and your disease would have advanced much further to cause significant obstruction. Yep. Um, so as you mentioned, on the left side, there's a greater likelihood for the stool to be fully formed. And what yep. we mean by that, it's not going to be sort of diarrhea. It's actually going to be you know, um, a formed mass. Mm. And so if you're obstructed mm. and you're trying to open your bowel, mm then it's harder to push that out because of the obstruction. And so yes. it's a warning sign for you then go and you know, have it examined by, um, mm. by your local doctor. Yes. Um, do colorectal cancers spread? Well, with colorectal cancers, they can have a direct, direct extension, I guess. And so mm. they, they would spread, but just using different, different methods. Yeah. So they could spread through the lymphatics. They yep. can spread through the blood. But we've mentioned before, if, probably if they've, uh, eroded right through the um, mm. right through the uh, the gastrointestinal tract. so the mesentery and yeah like so that, probably yeah. like a stage four one they could actually start s spreading directly into the yeah. peritoneal cavity that's receding. right and what are some of the common sites for metastases since the mesenteries drain the um, drain all the fluid that uh, all the nutrients in the gut directly into the liver for mm. um, so the, so the liver system. would be the pretty much the first point yeah. where the metastases are most likely going to occur yeah. and then you might also get it in the lung the bone and the brain as well but liver is your mm. so if you start seeing a deranged lft and you can't explain it in a patient who's got colorectal cancer mm. and it's not related to treatment then you start worrying about maybe they've got liver metastases true um so what would be some investigations that you perform in these patients to diagnose them well, I guess the gold standard for investigations would be a colonoscopy, mm. just to look in the bowel and have a look and see what's wrong. Yeah, exactly. Um, alternatives ones are you could use air uh, air and contrast barium enemas. Mm -hmm. So um, pump the colon full of the barium enema and, and look at it via um, imaging techniques. That's right. Yeah. And, and also you can follow that up with sigmoidoscopy, which is a better combination than just the air barium. There's a particular appearance on the abdominal x-ray that you are observing for, and that's called an apple core lesion. Mm -hmm. So imagine the apple core is actually due to um, the tissue encroaching onto the lumen, mm -hmm. and so the contrast can't really travel all the way through that and, mm. um, that obstruction and so it really it literally looks like an apple core so what's that left after you know biting finishing eating an yeah apple? exactly that's what that it looks thing. like have a look on um, on the internet for some images it's really interesting yes um, what about fecal occult blood um, test blood tests yeah. so they're they're a very common screening test so it, what it essentially does which I think we'll talk about later as well so the fecal occult blood test FOBTs look for the um, trace amount of bloods within yeah. the um within the colon mm. and so yeah definitely it has its role in um, investigations absolutely yeah and then there's obviously um other approaches like looking at full blood count if a patient's anemic and you can't explain it mm -hmm. um if their liver enzymes are deranged as we mentioned mm -hmm. there's also another so we'll talk about tumor markers in a future episode yes. but we'll just mention this for completeness so carcinogenic embryonic antigen or cea yes can be measured can be used to monitor progress to treatment as well so if it remains elevated in spite of treatment suggests that there might be some dis disease resistant or oh, some residual tumors interesting um and also mris might be useful as well particularly for rectal cancers yeah um, but let's talk about screening before we finish off mm -hmm. this talk. Screening is really important. I mean, that's uh, that's why we've been able to reduce the mortality rate of this disease by mm -hmm. so much compared to you know other cancers. Yes. What are some screening measurements? We I guess mentioned one of them already. Stool-based tests with the fecal occult blood test. Mm. Um, and so the rationale behind it is since um, since we've mentioned with colorectal cancers, they're predominantly asymptomatic. 
the point of this test is to pick up um, people who are who have an early form of this disease yeah. at a at a very early stage while they're still asymptomatic. Yeah, exactly. So you only get uh, in Australia at least. So what we're going to talk about right now is just general guidelines of what happens in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, so you use it to examine asymptomatic patients who are at an average risk. Uh, so at, at the at risk population. So we're talking about people from the age fifty years and above, and you do this probably once every two years until the age of seventy five. Yeah. And so this is done in people who, once again, are asymptomatic, so who do not show any of these um, uh, potential, uh, well, the clinical features. Because if if they do, then you would go straight on to something more substantial. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, if if the fecal or hoopla test, or if you suspect someone is already having melina or hematochesia, so fresh blood in the stool, there's no point doing a fecal occult blood test because it's confirming something that you already know. It only detects blood. Yeah. yeah. So if you know they're bleeding, there's no point doing it. So it's mm-hmm. not a good screening tool in this sense. So those patients would then directly be encouraged to have a colonoscopy, for example. Yes. Its utility is in purely symptomatic, or sorry, asymptomatic patients. Yes. Um, are there some imaging techniques that you can employ as well? Yeah. So we mentioned before about the double contrast barium enemas. Um, so you just look via... Uh, the imaging techniques to look for uh, presentations or certain patterns that you can see in the colon, and it can it can detect about fifty percent of adenomas that are greater than one centimeter, mm-hmm. and about eighty to eighty five percent of colorectal cancer. So it's fairly okay. I guess. Yeah, it's it's a okay thing. But there are better techniques now available as well, especially mm-hmm. with CT. So CT um, um, colonography is a sort mm-hmm. of you take a CT and it forms this virtual reality. It looks like you're in a video game yeah. of the colon and you can see these little polyps um, mm. popping up using computational um, technology. Yes. And it can identify about 90% of cancers or adenomas greater than one centimeter. So it's it's a quite an effective technique. Yeah. The only downside is they still need to undergo their bowel preparation. So I need to completely um, mm. evacuate the bowel so you can actually be able to visualize it without too much interference from stool. Yes. Just like what you might expect with colonoscopy as well. Yes. Um, so let's talk about the two different approaches to um, scoping someone's um, GIT. Um, mm. Do you want to maybe go through that? Well, so the one that I'm a bit more familiar with is the colonoscopy uh, process where essentially you go, the patient is sedated and go up the rectum and mm. then you, you visualize and you actually get to see what's inside the colon and, mm-hmm. and, and visualize where the polyps or uh, whatever uh, is causing any problems or you yeah. look for any malignant tissues with it. However, there are risks when it comes to colonoscopy. Mm. So there are, you can have a risk of perforation if the um, the physician was was not too careful. It's really physician dependent. I think the more experienced the gastroenterologist or general surgeon who's performing this, mm. the better your odds are. Just like any, I guess, anything with medicine, mm. the more practice you have, the better, better you are at it. Um, and what's the other one? Well, there is also a small risk of bleeding as well. Yeah. Uh, the risk of bleeding is a bit, obviously, much higher than perforation. It's, perforation is one in 1,000, roughly, yeah. in Australia, but bleeding is around one in 100. Mm. But I guess when you're doing um, colonoscopies and you observe a polyp, you also tend to cauterize it, you tend to burn it, so maybe there's sure. a bit of bleeding risk associated with that. Okay, yeah. um, or you tend to... Uh, excise it and and for biopsy purposes yes so yeah you've got imaging techniques you've got obviously um stool-based techniques and and, um endoscopic so um viewing techniques Mm -hmm. as well so with this in mind for patients who are at an increased risk so have the family history or uh, fap or um, hereditary non-polyposis it's in in australia it's encouraged for them to be screened at a much earlier age Mm -hmm. so usually 10 years prior to the age of onset 
of an affected family member. So if a family member will, you know, they develop bowel cancer at the age of 30, you start screening these patients at the age of 20. Mm-hmm. So it's quite, you know, quite a invasive, I guess it's quite an intensive process. Mm-hmm. And for these high-risk patients that are pretty much followed up all throughout their life because of that massive risk of um, colorectal cancer. Yeah. That's Everything I wanted to talk about, Andy, on this topic. Yes. So now you guys have heard about the genetics. Now you guys have heard about actual colorectal cancer. Mm. Um, I think our next episode we'll talk about maybe upper GI. How does that sound? Sounds good. Great. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you want to add before we finish off? Uh, I think just then we might have just looked, missed out something. You mentioned there were two types of endoscopic oh, examinations. Of course. I yeah. only mentioned the colonoscopy. Sure. Which one's the other one? Um, so the other one is flexible sigmoidoscopy. And I think that's predominantly used if you suspect a left-sided lesion because it goes... Ah. Um, uh, as high as I think the left colon. I'm not. Yep. Full, I don't fully appreciate this. Yep. This um, technique, but that's why it's mainly on that because it's it's looking really at the sigmoid and the left colon, so it doesn't okay. go all the way as as an um, colonos- colonoscopy nice. would. Yeah. Nice. So that's it, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, we're gonna start going through more and more um, cancers affecting various systems. So mm-hmm. hopefully, in the next few episodes, we'll talk about cholera, finish off gastric cancers, and talk about breast cancer and. Uh, and maybe touch about the treatments as well. So thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you in our next episode.